through courage. Through courage. Christ knew the hour had come. He knew the hour had come. How many natural and supernatural ways did Jesus have to escape this hour, the hour of suffering that was before him, the hour of betrayal? He said multiple times in his ministry, my hour is not yet, my hour is not yet. And now he, he knew that his hour had come. The time of his betrayal, the time of his trial, his faux trial, the time of his beating and flogging, the time of his crucifixion. The hour had come. Jesus could have gotten out in a multitude of ways. He knew the hour, he knew the place. He knew the people that were coming for him. He could have hidden in any number of locations and never been found. Matter of fact, a multitude of false gospels, these secret knowledge gospels, these Gnostic gospels, foolishness. They often paint Jesus as escaping somewhere else, uh, getting married and living this fanciful life somewhere else as a, as a coward. Perhaps how what we would do if we knew the unbelievable hour of trial was to come. But Jesus knows all of these things. He's God. Jesus is fully God, fully man. He could have called on a legion of angels the second that the temple guards and the Roman guards and Judas came for him. He could have called on a scores of angels to rip them to threads. But he did not. The Puritan Thomas Morton says it like this, As our sacrifice, Jesus went willingly to the altar, not as a swine, but as a sheep. Not screeching along the way, but as a willing participant. That's through courage. This morning, on the last Sunday of every month, we observe the Lord's Supper together. This great gift that God gives us for believers. If you're not a believer, we pray that this would be the day of your salvation, that you would come to abide in and trust in Christ, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins and to lead your life, declare your allegiance to Him publicly. That's what we do in the Lord's Supper. We observe it together as believers where our faith is encouraged and nourished in Christ. Because our courage as believers comes not in who we are or what we have done, but in our courageous good shepherd. That's good news. So in this text this morning, don't make the mistake of saying, I'm like Jesus. I need to be like Jesus and be courageous. Instead, slow down and fix your eyes on the good shepherd. Fix your eyes on the courageous one. Fix your eyes on the Lord Jesus. For we come, and as believers, we come usually to the table in one of two ways. We come either after a great week a week where we've faithfully done good works to the glory of God. And perhaps we come with a hint of pride or entitlement. The Lord's table reminds us, we are in the Beloved because of the shed blood and broken body of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the courageous Lamb of God, the one in whom there was no blemish. And perhaps you come this morning as a believer limping in with your faith shredded and strained. You've been consumed in sin this week. That you come and your spirits are lifted for you're reminded that same reminder. That you're welcome to the table of the Lord because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. His blood spilled, His body broken for you as one who is trusted in Christ. So this morning, let's fix our eyes on the courageous one. As we know, first, looking at the first 12 verses, 
that our Good Shepherd courageously protected His sheep. Our Good Shepherd, He courageously protected His sheep. The Shepherd is chiefly not passive. He told His disciples what to do. He knew this moment would come, and He is not passive. That first reading of this account is uh, Elder Johnson read this for us for a moment ago. Perhaps you listen to it and you think, this would not make a very good Hollywood movie. I mean, Jesus knows the battle is to come. He could have, he could have set an incredible trap. Rambo style. He could, he could have done just amazing. Would have built up the drama. He knows where it's going to happen. But he doesn't set a trap. He knows they're coming and he waits for them to come. And how do they come for him? They come for him at night with an army. Ready to take him captive with, with uh, temple guards and with Roman soldiers led by Judas among them. Judas being influenced by Satan himself. And they come ready to take him. And they come with lanterns to see him in the night in case he's hiding in the shadows to grab him as though he's a criminal. But Jesus in his boldness and courage, he steps forward in such a way that in verse 6, how did they respond? This gathered army, this number of these trained fighting men. How did they respond? They drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus, an unarmed man, without a lantern in his hand, he steps forward to men, though they have lanterns, who still clothed in darkness. And they're taken aback by his boldness and his courage. And they shrink back at the light, the eternal light, who has come into the darkness and dwelt among us. It's a greater is he in the darkness, even though he has no light in his hand. They come thinking they're going to take a criminal, and, and sure, soon he will take the place of Barabbas. They will not ask for Jesus to be dismissed and released. They will ask for Barabbas. But Jesus will go to the grave as a as though a criminal in our place. Beloved. He will bear our sins on His body on the cross. They come for a criminal, and away they do take one. For He comes and goes as our atoning Lamb. Courageous. Aren't you thankful that Jesus is the protector? Aren't you thankful that Jesus is the protector? Think of this thing for Peter in his life. One of the first times I remember reading or hearing this account, and it clicked with me, I envied Peter. I did. For Peter sounds courageous. What does he do? What are the rest of the disciples? The rest of the disciples aren't really mentioned in this scene. They don't do something bold. They don't do anything. At least Peter had the courage to do something. He swings his sword. What boldness, what courage. Monster man, Randy Savage courage. Insurmountable odds. But this isn't a demonstration of faith. This is a demonstration of a lack of faith. Just a few moments ago, what did Peter confess with all the rest of the disciples? Oh, Jesus, you finally explained it to us. Now we understand that you really are from the Father. Jesus, you're the eternal one. Father, Son, and Spirit, you're the Son taken on flesh who came from the Father, and to the Father you will return. We get it now. And the scene happens 
Peter sees Jesus admitting who he is. And in panic, he says, you're not going to do anything? Other disciples, you're not going to do anything? I'll do something. He pulls his sword. A fisherman pulls his sword on an army. How's that going to work out for you? Well, the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells us in this scene that Jesus tells Peter, if you live by the sword, you will what? Die by the sword. What a tragedy this would have been if Jesus was not Peter's protector. What a tragedy. Think about this. What gives God more glory? Imagine if this scene would have ended and, and him dying by the sword. He strikes Malchus the seer. Imagine Jesus does not protect him and make that right and heal Malchus. And the Romans naturally ran him through with their spear. Peter, a man who had seen Jesus in his transfiguration, his glory revealed. A man who sat under the teachings of Jesus three years, serving him and watching him with his own eyes. He didn't walk by faith. He was full fear. He could walk by sight. And his end would have been death in the garden. As our women are going to be studying through the book of Acts, we see Peter featured in boldness and faith as the Spirit indwells him and leads him to testify the resurrected Christ. Peter goes on and he writes several epistles, several letters. If his end would have been there, what a tragedy that Jesus his protector provided and watched over him and kept him safe. That's true godliness. Peter's not acting in a mustard seed of faith to swing the sword. He's acting in an absence of faith. For if he would have remembered who Jesus already told him he was multitudes of times, he wouldn't have swung the sword. He would have cried out to the courageous good shepherd. The Word, who was in the beginning with God and was God, and who would come and dwelt among them, he would have asked God to do something about it. But instead, what happens is emotion and panic overcame Peter. And Peter was an angry, scared sheep who bit at a wolf. How's that going to work out? How's that going to work out? But how often do we do the same thing? We look at circumstances and situations, and all of us, as we work through this gospel account, and John 18, we look and say, it sure looks like the bad guys are winning right here. Sure, looks like the bad guys are ahead. God, where are you? What are you going to do about this? This is unjust. This is wicked. The weighted scales of man. This is wrong. Where are you? And so Peter acts in his own strength. How often in our lives are we tempted to do the same thing, beloved? We act in our own strength. We act by the flesh. We measure life according to our own standards. And maybe we have to break some rules to do so. Maybe we have to act outside of the way of God to do so. And we act just as Peter does, leaving Jesus out of it. We think we need to save Jesus instead of simply drawing near to Jesus. That's the goodness and faithfulness of our God. What a reminder we need. Jesus does not need my saving. He needs my serving. And He doesn't need my serving. He permits me. He's adopted me. He's rescued us by faith. And He commissions us as ambassadors. 
as servants, as faithful proclaimers of His life, death, resurrection, of His kingdom, that all who will come by faith in Christ will be brought to newness of life, eternal life, to know the Father and the Son whom He sent. This is good news for us. God calls us and allots us and accounts us not only faith, but suffering. In Philippians chapter 1, this is what Paul tells the beloved, he tells the believers. Philippians is one of the prison letters. If you're thinking of how to remember, I just remember, eat popcorn, Philemon. Let's just tie that together. Eat popcorn, Philemon. One, two, three. Eat popcorn, Philemon. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. These are letters that Paul wrote from prison. Paul wrote from prison. The good shepherd, the courageous shepherd, permitted Paul to be entangled and to write these letters. The good shepherd saved Peter in this scene. He saved him from what would have 100% been his death by the sword. He saved him that he may suffer for him later and proclaim the gospel. Paul is delivered from a multitude of potential death encounters, shipwrecks, and other things that he may further suffer in displaying the gospel. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul encourages, while in chains, he encourages the church in Philippi. Listen to what he says. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. That is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So believers enduring hardship, abiding in Christ, drawing close to the shepherd, is a declaration to the unbelieving world that judgment is theirs. And look what he says. Listen to what he says in verse 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you, beloved, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, our faith is the gift of God, not only that you should believe in him, but also that you should suffer for his sake. That means that the, the bark of the unbelieving world is permitted by God. And when God permits the world to bite believers, or he permits natural trials and cancers and sickness and the, the thorns of the flesh, the thorns of this earth, to strike and hardship comes. As believers draw near to the Savior, the Lord has allotted it to us. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. When I don't pray, when we don't pray, we find ourselves acting like Peter. Choosing not to call on the good, courageous shepherd and trying to gnaw at wolves. Even in the gospel, or even in the, in the book of Jude, we're told of this account in which the archangel Michael doesn't rebuke Satan directly, but it calls on the Lord. The Lord rebukes you to fight that battle. The confidence and courage of the believer is in the faithfulness of God. Never underestimate the power of faithful suffering believers. We don't know. We didn't know what this week had. We didn't know if we'd have services today, did we? The hurricane. We didn't know what would happen. Thank God is still sovereign and good and faithful, even if it hit here. And where it hit, He's still faithful and good, and the suffering He permits us 
believers who draw near to the Lord, this is an undeniable, powerful testimony of God's faithfulness and the truth of the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. It's worth our lives. This message is worth our life. Jesus is worth your life. What will happen in our lives as we suffer faithfulness is what seems unbelievably courageous is actually simply unbelievably wise. You see, if sheep nears are good shepherd when hardship and trials come, the wise sheep that sees the shepherd gets closer to the shepherd. It would be foolishness for the, the sheep to be hardened and run for the shepherd. So what will they become? Once, it's only going to make it worse to run from the protection of the courageous good shepherd. And so as we model in our church a multi-generational body, we see people from all different ages and backgrounds, how the Lord has saved them, the gospel is transforming and renewing their lives. And with the older believers and younger believers enduring sufferings, as we do so, our faith is encouraged. Our souls are nourished. As you remember that if the Lord allots it, then glory be to God. And glory be to God. But you say in your heart, if Peter, seeing Jesus with his eyes, struggles to walk by faith, what hope do we have? We can't see Jesus physically. What hope do we have? In John 14, 16, Jesus told his disciples that he will send another helper, the Spirit of Truth. He will indwell you. This is good for you. And so we rejoice to receive new hearts and new lives. The Spirit, He indwells us. Our good and courageous shepherd, He has provided for us. He does protect us. And He's given us the helper of the Spirit. Aren't you thankful you have a courageous good shepherd? See, our confidence and our encouragement doesn't come in that you can do it. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you. That's not a courage. That would be a that would be a, a, a sugar block up here. Because when you go back and you get back into your car, by the time you get back into your car, the Texas heat, you're like, this is way too hot in my car. This is miserable now. Any adversity you face for the faith, trials you have in your job, relationship conflict, because you cannot compromise on the way of the Lord. You realize, no, 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 no. I need in my life the Spirit indwelling me, and I have Him inside me. I need His Word before me, and I need His people around me to remind me of the faithfulness of the Good Shepherd. So His sufferings and trials come, I draw near to Him. And so if you're a baby believer, if you're new in the faith, you need to be connected and yoked into the body. So after the Lord's Supper today, we're not going to sing a, a song of response. Rather, we're going to hear from Tim, who's going to give us just some very practical ways to connect and to lean in and to bond in together. For we need people in our lives that know us enough to say, hey, draw near to the shepherd. Let me draw near with you to the good shepherd. He's courageous and faithful and good. He's our good shepherd. That's our strength. That's our hope. That's our confidence. His broken body is still blood for us. His reigning and His working through our lives to heal us suffering for us. Let's look secondly as we look at the final verses of 13 through 27 for this morning. We know that our good shepherd, he will willingly, he willingly endured the unjust tales of man and the cowardice of his disciples. 
Why is this not point two and three? Because in the text flow, John, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, he gives us Peter's first denial, and then we see that this posting before Annas, and then we see the later denials by Peter, denying to be a disciple, denying to know Jesus, denying to be Jesus' friend. Our good shepherd willingly endured all of this. Nobody endured more unjust tales than Jesus. He did this willingly, not as a swine squealing, but as a holy lamb, willingly to the slaughter. And this can be kind of confusing, a little bit. Confusing to me anyway, first read. Who is Annas? Annas was the high priest between 6 and 15 A.D. Annas had five sons that also occupied that office of high priest. And the high priest, remember, had several responsibilities, but among one of them was to go in and to make the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement in the Holy of Holy Places to cover their sin and the sins of the people. We talked about that a little last week. Annas is no longer serving in that role, but he has served in that role in a similar way that today we might say that with the president. So he's still, he's still President Obama, still President Clinton, still President Bush. They still have that title, president or vice president. Annas is like the patriarch of the high priest. He's the oldest living high priest at this point. So his opinion matters as a patriarch and matriarch. This makes sense. Churches have patriarchs and matriarchs. Families have patriarchs and matriarchs. Do you know that? Well, some of those powerful people in a family is an 88-year-old woman sitting in that recliner. You know what I'm talking about? Patriarch matriarchs. So Annas, even though he's not still reigning and ruling and leading as the high priest, he still has that credibility with the people. And John doesn't give the attention to completely agree. Uh, I can't. I never would bring attention to that, but that was good. Were you all here the day that uh, my phone went off? Siri went off. If you say the word Assyrian, okay, it didn't go off. Yeah, disarmed it. But I said Assyrian, and Siri started saying, I didn't get that. Totally threw me off in the sermon one Sunday. So it happens. Don't worry. There's no shame in that, okay? Happened to me. It can happen to you. But John doesn't give the attention to the scene that. Caiaphas in this rigged trial that other gospel writers do. For he's already told us what Caiaphas has done. Caiaphas has already made this declaration. John summarizes it here. He's already summarized what's going to take place. He's already said, hey, it's better that one would die than all of us. It's better that Jesus would die than we would all lose our power and place and authority before Rome. It's, it's much better that he should be put to death. This is a, a faux trial. And they're so wise that they covered all their bases. So they don't go right to Caiaphas, the guy who actually has the position of authority. They go to Annas, the patriarch. Why? Because he looks and sees it fit for Jesus to be willing to be struck and then to sit on to Caiaphas. So you can imagine, imagine you're a Jewish family and you hear about Jesus, the one that you came out, maybe you were one of those that put palm branches down before he came into the city. And you're celebrating Hosanna in the highest, he's the Messiah. The promised one of God, the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, it's him. You hear, oh, he's arrested? Yeah, it turns out he's a blasphemer. He claimed to be God, from God, and to be God. He's a blasphemer. Whoa. 
But what did Anna say about it? Well, they actually took him to Anna's first, and Anna agreed. Oh, okay. What happens in a world when all the most righteous and respected of men are corrupt? Proverbs tells us there's blessing and multitude of wise counselors. They got a multitude of counsel. But that counsel wasn't from the fear of God. And so we likewise need to be reminded that the counsel that we seek through must always filter it. You must always filter what I say. You must always filter what your small group leader says. You must always filter what you feel and say and hear. For we all build our lives on words. All of us. Because most of the time we're not aware of where the words that we've taken in. That we're actually filtering them by. We must filter by the Word of God. Matthew 7. The wise man hears the words of Christ and does them. We are who the Word of God says we are. And we filter by the Word of God. In John chapter 5, Jesus already spoke judgment upon these men. Let me read this for you as a reminder. In John chapter 5, verse 37, here's what he said about the justice of these pharisaical leaders. He said, And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. The voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scripture because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What about you this morning? Have you come to Jesus that you may have life? Or have you only heard about it? Have you stayed at the distance from that? Jesus knew what it was to be under weighted God warns of weighted scales. In Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to them. And all of these, by the way, in Proverbs 6, Jesus endured at this unjust trial. Nobody knew injustice more than Christ. Listen to these, verse 17. Haughty eyes. Remember how the Pharisees looked at Jesus? A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies. And one who sows discord among the brothers. Jesus endured them all. That's our good shepherd. Proverbs warns in many other places of weighted scales. Weighted scales, think about it. On the scales, they're putting their thumb on it to weight it, to rip you off. It's rigged from the beginning. That's the scales of man. We shouldn't be stopped in an unbelieving and darkened world when we see injustice. As a matter of fact, and that word is perhaps the most popular word right now and used most often, the word justice. But what asks for us for a moment to consider is, if there is no God, what is justice? What is this observation that our world is making? If God doesn't exist and we're simply stardust colliding against each other, who cares? If the final breath we breathe is all that there is, who cares? In a couple thousand years, in a couple decades, after our death, we won't be remembered. What is justice? Even our own legal system looks and recognizes that there is a greater justice than even our own world can give a part. And so when a horrible crime is committed, what is often given by the judge? Multiple life sentences. As though they could die and keep their body for another life. It's an expression of, we think you deserve much worse, but we're giving you the worst we can. 
Friends, that's where you're created in the image of God. To know Him and to reflect Him and to worship Him. And you have value and dignity. Every life has value and dignity. But before God, we do not want justice, do we? We want mercy. We stand before God as broken sinners in need of a Savior. And behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We look to Jesus and we have life. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Adoption into the family of God to all who will believe in Christ. That is good news. No matter what you've done or been done to you, you are made one in Christ. And as a local church body, we are one together. Family. Isn't that good news? Sandwiched before and after Anderson's court scene is Peter's threefold denial and fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that he would deny him. And so what should injustice lead us to do as believers to seek? It should lead us to look and draw closer to the shepherd and to point the unbelieving world to the way of the shepherd and the hope of the gospel and life and forgiveness of sins and the way of the Lord and how we live out the rest of our lives. Not earning salvation, but as those who have been saved and forgiven and adopted, those who have received grace, we show grace, reflect grace. Those who receive forgiveness, we show forgiveness. Same within these scenes is Peter's denial of Jesus. In the beginning of the scene, Peter musters up all the strength and courage he can to go out in a blaze of glory. But he doesn't die. Jesus heals the man and sends Peter off. And so Peter, who's walking by the best of his flesh, finds himself in one moment standing face to face with an army and says, Bring it on! And an hour later, standing across from a young servant girl, saying, I am not with Jesus! That's what it's like even as believers as we try to live out our faith in the flesh. The confidence that we have is not in us, but He who is in us. For He who is in us is greater than He is in the world. Not your background, not your resume, not your degree program, but Jesus. The Holy Spirit, He who indwells us. That's the good news, and that's the hope that we have in Christ. In Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord. Before speaking of the whole armor of God, he says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Our courage and hope comes in the might and strength and work of God. That's the good news. And in 1 Corinthians 10, he tells the church, in speaking and summarizing Israel's victories that happen, and then soon after these victories that Israel has, there's massive idolatry. There's massive falling away from the Lord. And he gives them in 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. What is the word of encouragement, beloved? You are faithful. No? What's the lesson from Israel? That Israel's faithful? No. Israel's faithless, yet God is faithful and sends the Messiah. Is it that Peter is awesome? Nope, Peter is faithless and denies Jesus three times. But Jesus comes and delivers Peter. Do you love me? 
Do you love me? Do you love me? Be my sleep. The confidence Paul says to the church in Corinth is that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. Your good shepherd is faithful. He is faithful. Would you say those three words with me this morning? He is faithful. He is faithful. So whether you pranced here or you went here this morning, He is faithful. Our courageous good shepherd He is faithful. He knowingly endured the unjust skills of man. He knowingly endured the cowardice of His disciples. He is faithful. He is our hope. He's our peace, our love, our life, and our purpose. To proclaim Christ and to serve Him. To pour out our lives for His glory together. This is the good news. Jesus is not angry at Peter. Before we observe the Lord's Supper in a moment, let's say it again. Peter, Jesus is not angry at Peter. He's not bitter or passive aggressive against Peter. Just a few passages ago, Jesus looked at Peter and said, and to the disciples, you are my friends. For you're my servants, but you're also my friends, for I share with you what the Father has shown me, the will of the Father. And believe it, maybe this morning you need to be reminded that God is not passive aggressive in you. That in Christ you are loved and forgiven and adopted. Hence, Him we proclaim, and it's His finished work upon the cross, Christ's finished work upon the cross, the sent one of the Father, that we rest in. And so, in our next step, there's four questions as we celebrate that we've been reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Four questions. And if you're not a believer, this is not for you, but we want you to sit and to observe this. It's, this has been given to us, and we receive this as an ordinance proclaiming the glory of God. This is the ordinance of baptism. We proclaim that we've been united with Christ in His life, death, resurrection. We receive newness of life, and we're with Him and unashamed to proclaim it in obedience to Him publicly. And so we ask ourselves these helpful reflective questions. Is my heart right with the Lord? Is my heart right with the Lord? Is my Surrender, repent, and trust Christ as a believer. Come back to Christ. Study your heart before the Lord. Number two, do I have relational unity with my church family? If not, make amends. Number three, am I trusting alone in Christ's perfect work for salvation? So number four, am I understanding to publicly proclaim the Lord's death until He comes? This is what we see in the Lord's Supper that we partake of together. When you came in this morning, you grabbed one of these. If you didn't get one of these and you're a believer, you will partake with us the Lord's Supper this morning. And if you didn't get one, we'll have some servers that can come and bring those to you. So if you didn't get one, you can just raise your hand and come around and hand it. That's okay. Don't be nervous there. Now, as these are coming around, we come as those who celebrate the kindness and goodness of God. This is a time of building up of our faith. As we sing over one another, the goodness of God's faithfulness, as we sit under the Word of God together, as we give together, 
as we serve together. God gives us the ordinance of the Lord's Supper to remember His faithfulness that we have been reconciled to God by the blood of the Lamb. In two weeks, we'll look at John 19 and this scene in which Jesus is being crucified. And the Roman soldiers, John tells us, lift up on a hyssop branch this sponge of soured wine not to dull the senses, but it would do the opposite. It would enlighten and enhance the senses, the senses that Jesus would experience the fullness of what that moment brought. And so, the hyssop branch is used several times in the Old Testament. The hyssop branch is what God told Israel to do in the Exodus, was to take the hyssop and to dip it in the blood of the Lamb and to pour the blood of the secure lamb on the posts of the door. And that God in His justice, death would pass over the household for they had been covered over. As believers in Christ, we thank God that the wrath that would justly be poured out upon us as rebel sinners was placed upon the sinless lamb of God. And that by His work, we receive the mercy and blessing of God as forgiven children in Christ adopted by faith in the Son. And we become members of this body together and believers over in this multitudes of congregations over all the earth this morning gather and they observe the Lord's Supper. They proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. And so, reading from 1 Corinthians 11, you can pull back that first little film on here. And we take the bread. And we celebrate this new covenant that we are in by the blood of Christ. We stand with confidence before the throne of grace because of the blood and work, the shed life of Christ on our behalf as believers. Paul, uh, counting this, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We are forgiven by Christ. And we live as proclaimers of Christ. We proclaim His death until He comes, for He will come again. Jesus has ascended to heaven. He rules and He reigns and He reigns in our lives and through our lives as we are marked as the people of grace. What a privilege that God would count us to pour our lives out here in Nacogdoches town. What a privilege we support missionaries over the earth. And we're to make disciples in our homes and the places we go and along the way. There's no better calling than to proclaim His death until He comes. And so let's observe this ordinance. He says in the same way, also Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. 
your bulletin this morning, you have a monthly prayer calendar. That's for the month of September. A great team of praying ladies goes the great work to help assemble this, that we be praying with the same components every day through the month. And what I'm going to do is before we, we're going to pray in just a moment before Tim shares with us several ways to get deeper connected, get involved with a, a group uh, devoted to the Word, of course, corporate worship, find a group of ministry to serve in, to pour your lives out together with others, and then family. Building community is a family being renewed by the power of Christ's love. What I want to do is I want to just pray together for a moment, and there's nothing special about having to hold this in our hands as we do so, but it's a reminder that we are saved and a part of the body of Christ. This is the Lord's Supper. is isn't a one-on-one thing between you and the Lord. It's, yes, it's the Lord who's shed His blood for us and saved us, and it's also communal in our lives as we walk out as a committed body of members one to another. So, would you go with me in prayer to the Lord as we pray for courage this week? Lord, we give you glory, and we thank you for the privilege that it is to know you and to be known by you. That, God, you would know the depths of our fears, you would know the depths of our sin. And Father, that you would send the Son, the eternal begotten one. The Son would come and take on flesh, fulfilling all the prophecies of Scripture, fulfilling all the demands of the law, and perfect righteousness and perfect justice he would live. And he would willingly, as a lamb before the slaughter, would lay his life down in full obedience to you, Father. So, Father, you would be pleased to Christ him for our sin. It's by faith in the work of Christ that we come and we ask for courage this week. Courage, Lord, not to be great, but to draw close to the shepherd. We thank you, Father and Son, that you sent the Spirit. We thank you, Spirit, for indwelling us and abiding in us. And that you will be with us until that great day. We ask that you would give us boldness, convict us of sin, comfort us. Lord, lead us and give us a spirit of joy and hope as we sit under your word. We pray, God, that you would give us your eyes this week. Help us to walk faithfully and joyfully under your hand. For your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You are good and you're faithful in all your ways. We lift up to you and lay down our burdens. We thank you for your greatness and glory. It's in Jesus' name all God's people said together. Amen.